Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Francis Sola Santiago. Francis is a fashion writer at Refinery29 and also does freelance work for other prominent outlets. She's a graduate of the University of Puerto Rico and Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, a favorite of ours. Hi, Francis. Hi, Mark. So what's your journalism origin story? So it's interesting because I started becoming interested in journalism through the show The Hills on MTV. It's kind of a weird path for journalists, but basically I fell in love with fashion magazines first and foremost, and then I fell in love with journalism itself. And so I was watching the show as a teenager, very interested in fashion, and realized that I could use my love for storytelling, which I had been developing in, in, you know, different ways in school as a career path. And that led to, you know, internships and subsequently going to school for it. But I would say that my first, you know, kind of interest in, in, in journalism and in magazines was The Hills. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For those that are completely unaware of what that is, what is The Hills? Yeah, so The Hills, oh, this is so funny, but The Hills is a, was a reality show on MTV that followed these girls in Los Angeles, and they worked at Teen Vogue, which at the time I had not ever read Teen Vogue. My mom collected a lot of fashion magazines from Puerto Rico and Latin America when I was growing up, but I had never opened the pages of Vogue or Teen Vogue or anything like that. So that was... I don't know. It just opened a different world to me, I think. And the show was really, you know, followed their lives. And there was a lot of drama at clubs and things like that. But I would literally always fast forward to when they would be on shoots or, you know, covering stories or things like that. So I, I think that was just the first glimpse that really made me fall in love with the fashion industry. Okay, cool. Uh, where did you grow up? So I am from Puerto Rico. So I grew up between a town called Caguas, which is 20 minutes south of San Juan. And then I moved to San Juan when I was 13. So I, I was, I lived in Puerto Rico since until I was 22 when I moved to New York. Oh, wow. Is there anything in your family or heritage that would have lent itself to journalism or storytelling? Not really. I mean, no one in my family is in journalism. No one is in anything remotely similar to it. My mom was in accounting her whole life. My dad was an electrician for the local power company. So there's literally no one in my family that is that does anything with the written word or media or anything like that. So it was very much a career path that I had to learn on my own and really got a lot of question marks from my family members when I told them that I wanted to be a journalist. They all associated it with being on TV which I always said that I didn't want to do. So it was definitely a lot of explaining <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> I, I can imagine that it's it's certainly a, a different path. You also wrote in an article that you were obsessed with fashion designers at an early age. What was your earliest memory of that? You know, I, I think one thing piggybacked from another, but, you know, as I mentioned, my mom collected fashion magazines, you know, throughout my life. And so, and she was also very, 
She was into fashion as well. She was a, she loved sewing and making her own clothes. Um, my grandmother on my dad's side um, was also a seamstress and I spent a lot of time um, in her atelier when I was a kid. Um, and so they both taught me a lot about kind of the craftsmanship of fashion design, of fashion design and just making clothes. And as I said, when I started, you know, learning about the kind of global fashion industry through the hills first, and then, you know, collecting Teen Vogue and, you know, reading other magazines like Vogue and Nylon, I really started getting into fashion designers like Diane von Furstenberg, who was my absolute favorite for a long time. She's the inventor of the wrap dress, and she was a big force of the 70s in Studio 54. So it was just, I, I was always very enamored by the idea that you could make your life, you know, make your living kind of making clothes. And that sort of initiated my love for for covering fashion. And I mentioned that you're at Refinery29 now. You've been there for about two and a half years and you cover fashion in a lot of different facets. We'll get to that in a second. But what was the path that led to you getting this job? Ooh, the path. I, I don't feel like it was a path. It was more like, yeah, it was like a maze <laughs> almost. But I first, you know, I my first internship in fashion writing was when I was 15. I was in Puerto Rico and I was really bored. And I was always, you know, acting a little old, like wanting to be an adult <laughs> from the time I was in high school. So I got myself an internship and I interned there for about three years. And then I went to college in Puerto Rico for journalism and interned at other fashion magazines in Puerto Rico as well. And then when I moved to New York to do my master's at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, I did a subject concentration in arts and culture. And once I moved to the city, it was just me really trying to get internships or an entry-level job in fashion magazines or, you know, any other type of publication that had culture reporting or something similar to it. It was incredibly hard. And I ended up actually getting a fashion internship that was at a small website of former employees, uh, former employees of style.com, which no longer exists and was turned into Vogue Runway, which is the kind of section where Vogue covers fashion shows all around the world. So these former employees had started a, a fashion website called Fashion Unfiltered. And what I really loved about that is that they really let me do whatever I wanted. Like, you know, there was no small task for them, but they also let me write big features that, you know, were still some of my favorite stories that I've written. And so after that, I, you know, I wanted to stay in New York. I had to make a living. So I landed a job as a video producer at People in Español, which is the Spanish language version of People. And there I was doing like celebrity interviews and covering a lot of like entertainment and kind of tabloidy stuff. And it was really in interesting, but not really my thing. And, you know, really trying to get, you know, all this time I was still applying to fashion jobs, just not landing them at all. And that led me to just keep going in fashion, I'm sorry, in video production. So I worked after people, I worked at Brute which is a social video publisher, very similar to a now this, for example. And then after that, I worked in content marketing for an agency. And all this time I was freelance writing on the side, 
you know, for a lot of different publications like the New York Times, Rolling Stone, and so and Bustle and Elite Daily. So it was just a lot of poking around and see and seeing what stuck. And finally, in 2021, I was writing a piece for Refinery29, working with its former executive editor, Connie Wang, who's now on Netflix. And she is one of my biggest inspirations. And I was so lucky that I got to work with her at some point. And she was the one, you know, I, I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I see that you have your this fashion writing job open. I'm super interested. And so that led to me having this job. So this is, even though I've had, I have so much experience, this is literally my first fashion writing job <laughs> full time, which is why I've held on to it so strongly. And the, the timeline here from when you got out of school to now is how long? So I got out of bachelor's in 2016, finished my master's 2017, and got my first fashion writing job in 2021. So it's been about, yeah, six, seven years. As I said, this is this is all fairly foreign to me. My experience with fashion writing is, I mentioned to you that this before we started, there's a Twitter account that I particularly like that reviews, of all things, what people wear on Jeopardy and does it in a very clever way. There are reporters in the world that I'm in sports that cover the sneaker industry that do it very intensely. And that's a big thing. You're in this different world a little bit of, of fashion overall. And I'm curious what fashion reporting's role is in the journalism ecosphere and why it's so important. You know, one of the many reasons that I got into fashion writing is because I think, you know, in some level, all human beings interact with fashion and clothing every single day. Whether you think of yourself as a fashionable person or not, or you think about your personal style and trends, or if you don't, you, you know, we all get dressed every single day. So I think it's an inherently human experience. And so much of fashion writing is thought of as frivolous and kind of unnecessary when people think that it's just about covering runways and designer clothes. But what I'm really interested in is the very personal human stories that are embedded in what we wear. So I pay attention to fashion as almost an kind of sociological <laughs> lens and really trying to understand bigger social phenomena through the clothes that we wear. So fashion touches so many different things. Like you can cover fashion from the tech perspective. You can cover fashion from the labor perspective. You can cover fashion from the lens of race. You can cover fashion from the lens of class. Like there's so many different things that are embedded in what we wear. And so that's, I think that's really the, the fashion writing that I think is smart and really well thought out and well done does that job, you know, really, really painting a picture of society through clothes. So I think that's very much the role that it has in journalism today. Yeah, your writing is certainly I would I would not go anywhere near the terms frivolous or or <laughs> such. It, it goes way beyond that. And I got, I got that from reading the many different things that you've done. I heard an interview that you did with some students where it, it sounded like one goal with Refinery29 specifically, like they have a specific voice in terms of how they want you to write. And I was wondering if you could just articulate about the idea of trying to be, to, to bring kind of a, a specific voice and an entertaining writing style to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Journalism school is a great place and I absolutely loved going to two journalism schools. <laughs> but there is there is a sense that um, you know, you have to write for your audience. And, you know, I was taught to almost write to kind of a New York Times type of audience, right? It's more of an older demographic, you know, they're more serious, they're more, you know, more by the dictionary, if you will. And at Refinery 29, I think we are not necessarily trying to be entertaining, but we are trying to get people to speak their language and really try to make storytelling engaging and really tell stories that people find relatable and somewhat, you know, curious or, or, you know, wacky sometimes. I think we're very interested in kind of the, I don't know, the nuances of things. And so when, it, when that boils down to, to tone and voice and the way that I write, I think it's much more colloquial and conversational than, you know, my other pieces for other outlets for sure. And so actually when I started at Refinery, I think one of my biggest hurdles really adapting to the job was, was the tone and voice because I was very, very used to writing in, in more of a, you know, I'm a journalist type of, of writing. <laughs> and at Refinery was more like, you know, we want you to, to think of the reader as a peer almost. And that has really helped, I think, my writing overall, because, you know, when you're a journalist, you sometimes overthink your writing so much and it ends up sounding like, you know, an academic paper sometimes. And I think simplicity and really talking to the reader like just another person is the best formula. So I've got three examples of stories that you've written vastly different but that I think fall under what you were just talking about and that show the range of what you cover. One was you did a story about chat, GPT, TikTok, and fashion. Can you explain that one? Yeah, absolutely. So like many people, I'm, I'm very curious about chat, GPT. And when it has, when I, you know, when I first started seeing on TikTok that people were making videos about, you know, asking chat, GPT to make outfits for them. I thought it was very interesting because, you know, we think of um, chat, GPT as this thing that, is very daunting and don't get me wrong, I am very <laughs> kind of intimidated by it and don't really know what to think of AI yet. But I did see that it was an opportunity to explore a story in which, you know, I asked people what that experience was like. I think it's so much of fashion is so subjective and it has so much to do with your mood and who you are and, you know, all these different factors that I talked about earlier. And so relying on something like AI to get you dressed, I thought was very interesting. So I basically just asked a bunch of people on TikTok about what that experience was like, why they did it, would they use it again? And I found people that genuinely use ChatGPT every day to get, to get dressed. And after that, I've, you know, beyond the story, I've done more reporting on it. And I have found actual styling services that are using chat GPT and AI to basically help, you know, the people, their users to, to get dressed every day. So I think it's something worth looking into, you know, and if it's good or bad, I'm not here to decide, but 
it is definitely being used. And so it was one of those instances in which I, I saw an opportunity to really explain a kind of social phenomenon for my reader, for my readers and, you know, and, and just offer it to them as kind of a, a solution or just maybe something tomorrow at, but it was a very fun story to write. I really loved it. So another piece, you did a piece last March called For Scammers, Style is Part of the Grift. And this was uh, done at a time when there were a lot of big scammers in the news. And can you explain what that piece was about and how the reporting for that one went? So this was actually at a time when, as you mentioned, a lot of these scammers were in the news for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, I think this was around the time that Elizabeth Holmes trial was starting yep. more under what way. Um, and then there was also the show on Hulu with Amanda Seyfried. And there was also the show on Netflix about Anna Delvey that was called Inventing Anna. And it was also coming out around the same time. So I thought that it was a good opportunity to really talk about how these people, you know, when we think about these scammers, you know, there's a very specific look that we identify to eat to each of them. So, you know, so much of Elizabeth Holmes grift was really tied to her suits and, you know, her lipstick and the way that she talked. So there's definitely kind of a character building there. And so my take on this was almost go a step further into, you know, when you're going to make shows about these scammers, like, how do you go about that? And I interviewed the costume designers for the show. I also interviewed Jessica Pressler, who is the reporter that broke the Anna Delvey story on New York Magazine and was fictionalized eventually on the show. So it was very much about that, about really trying to, to do a deep dive on how fashion plays a part on, on, you know, scamming, but eventually it was really funny because I think Jessica Pressler and I got to the realization that in a way, a lot of our own personal style sometimes has so much to do with scamming other people into thinking about what we want them to think about us. <laughs> so it was, it, there was just a lot of really insightful conversations happening in, in that piece. Yeah, it's definitely true. You think of just characters in general across all forms of entertainment. And you yeah. think of how fashion plays such a significant role. And what was it like writing a personal piece about the ring that you got engaged with? That was fairly recent. It was interesting because I pitched that, that story as a as more of a trend story. I wanted to write about people that, have, that were getting engaged with Black engagement rings. I got engaged with an onyx, which is not really traditional in the wedding industry. And so I pitched it to my editor and she was like, well, I'm more interested in why you decided on that, you know, as a personal essay. I try not to write about myself on the internet as much as possible because it's, it's something that I, I don't know, I, it's not really my thing. And even though I've done it in the past, I try to make, you know, make it a point or, or have a big statement out of it. And so with this one, I think, you know, there's so much pressure, I think to for people to kind of enter this and this sorry this institution of marriage and in a way that's very cookie cutter and very traditional and so for us at refinery i think we're really interested in in allowing our readers to really be themselves if they're going to take this step and we cover a lot of like non-traditional bridal fashion non-traditional engagement trends things like that 
So it was just a way for us to cover kind of that that arena in a more personal way. And I I thought I I wanted to do it just because I I thought it was an interesting story and it really allowed me to to also so much of writing as Joan Didion said is you know trying to kind of figure out what you're thinking. <laughs> so I think it really allowed me to also make sense of this big moment in my life. So it was a it was a fun piece and I really loved doing it. That's cool. So so social media entertainment and personal experience, three different ways by which you got your story ideas for these pieces. What are some other ways that you get your story ideas? So it it comes from everything. A lot of times it comes from, you know, having conversations with my friends and my peers, even my boyfriend. I did a story last year about Costco fashion that actually he he pitched to me and then I pitched to my editors. <laughs> And that ended up really being a big deal. I ended up on the Today Show with it. So it was a a good one. So definitely conversations, social media, my own personal life. I also draw a lot from data reports and insights. A lot of fashion brands and and retailers do, you know, send editors some sort of report or quarterly, you know, kind of trend report, things like that. So whenever I'm seeing something that I think is worth highlighting. A lot of times I try to turn it into a big feature. Yeah, I I try to actually rely on data a lot for my stories. Like whenever I'm meeting with publicists, for example, and they ask me like, how can I help you? And I'm like, just send a lot of data. I'll make something of it. Um, Because I think it's just, especially with fashion, it's something, as I said, some so subjective and abstract sometimes that really adding some sense of quantitative value to it is is really is really helpful show me the data yeah uh, that's that's my (laughs) field so what are some of the stories that you're continuously following Mm -hmm. so something that i am deeply invested in is representation so one of the reasons that i got into journalism you know I, i mentioned yes the hills but eventually i really wanted to be able to tell stories in fashion journalism that I hadn't seen before. So much of fashion is incredibly white, incredibly European and American, and there's not there's not many opportunities to look elsewhere, or at least because so much of the industry has remained in the hands of the same kinds of people and the same social classes and circles. So for me to have this this position, I think, has been a real privilege to really tell, you know, different stories about, especially about Latinx communities. I also write about music a lot for Rolling Stone and other publications. So I try to bring in as much diversity and stories from Latinx communities as I can. Like recently this year, I wrote a story about women, Puerto Rican women specifically in reggaeton, which is, you know, one of the biggest now it's like the synonymous with like global pop, thanks to people like Bad Bunny, for example. And that's a genre that, you know, really got its its standing in, in Puerto Rico. So I profiled five different women that are, you know, really breaking the kind of boys club, you know, landscape in, in reggaeton for Rolling Stone. And that was a really big story that I'm really proud of. So that's, I think that's something, not necessarily a story that I'm following, but kind of a theme with my stories, I would say. 
I've seen other ones. You did a piece uh, related to AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, uh, and the mischaracterization of Latina women. Uh, you did another one on representation by uh, Latinx in fashion in general. What's it like to write for Rolling Stone? It's really cool. I, I, I think because my experience is unique in the sense that I write mostly about reggaeton most of the time. And so for me, I think it's been... I, I don't know. I get really giddy when I talk about this because I grew up listening to reggaeton and and it was seen as kind of this genre that was very lowly and, you know, it was associated with crim criminal behavior and it was actually persecuted in Puerto Rico for a long time. So just to, to, to get to write for Rolling Stone and see it as a respected genre in, in the mainstream and at this level is is really valuable and i you know my editor is most of the time has been julisa lopez who's a senior music editor there and she's incredibly cool and you know really values my ideas and i think it's been it's been a really beautiful process to enter music journalism which is something that i feel like i'm a guest of <laughs> almost because it's not necessarily my arena but but it's been good to dip my toes and i've also been part of some of their kind of rankings their lists that they've done of like Bad Bunny's top songs for example and and that's a process that I think is, is very intriguing as well and also I think it's just such a legacy publication and as I mentioned you know to to have five Puerto Rican women in there you know with my violin I think it's just incredibly valuable. The process of writing like for you whether it's for Rolling Stone or for Refinery or whoever? My process of writing, I think it's, it depends. A lot of times I try to be very disciplined with it and, you know, and sit down and really try to, you know, get X amount of words in. But in my daily job, I try to assign writing days in my week, but that all depends because sometimes I really wake up and I don't want to write. And, you know, I, those days and I try to do other sort of things, just like, reach out to sources or do interviews or things like that. So I try to assign days like that, but in the actual process of writing a story, I try to nail down my knock graph first and foremost, most of the time, because it's, I, I find it as kind of a, yeah, just like a guide of where my story is going because it, so many times when you're writing a story and you get kind of lost, you keep asking yourself, why am I doing this? And I feel like the nutgraph always answers that that question. So I, I kind of try to start there. And I also use a lot of I I know that I know a lot of reporters that still rely on notebooks and things like that. I use my computer entirely and I use this software platform called Notion. And I created kind of my own kind of journalist template there. So it's very easy to kind of organize all of my notes and my transcripts and all of that. So it's, it's pretty disciplined, I would say. And, but I don't really do outlines or anything like that. I just write my note, not graph, and then I'll go from there. What's the hardest part of the job for you? Hardest part of the job? Honestly, that sometimes I get a lot of story ideas and then I have to write them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like a tragedy. Journalist has to write the story she pitched. 
so I, I think it's that sometimes uh, it's kind of like managing bandwidth and, you know, with and resources with the 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 ideas that I have, and and also that it's it's an industry that's undergoing a lot of kind of sad transformations. So it's it's hard to keep your head kind of going in in this industry. So yeah. You mentioned uh, the transformations. What are some of the issues? That's one issue I imagine that you're most passionate about related to the journal, the field of journalism itself. I think I have been on three rounds of layoffs, and I have, and I'm 29. <laughs> so I think job security and and really allowing reporters and editors to have the resources to do their job, it's incredibly important. You know, and I work in a field, you know, fashion journalism is not necessarily saving lives or covering, you know, life-saving stories. But for the reporters that are doing that job, I think, you know, not having job security or not, you know, feeling like they can be kind of cut at any point, it's incredibly demoralizing. And it's it's hard for me, you know, I worked for the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, where I where I studied for two semesters as a professor. And it was incredibly hard to be, you know, motivating for these students. I'm not going to lie. So I think, I think, you know, just having jobs <laughs> really is the biggest issue right now. Yeah, the, the, the decline of the field certainly paramount to, I imagine, to everyone that's listening to this podcast you mentioned something at the beginning that and this is i think that makes you somewhat distinct to 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 the guests that we've had on this podcast you went to college in puerto rico and i didn't want to leave that just kind of hanging i wanted to ask what was the what was distinct about that experience i went to the university of puerto rico and it was actually my last plan. Like it was the last thing I wanted to do. And I was very hesitant to do it. And I think life proved me very wrong. (laughs) My top choice of school was Syracuse University and I got in, but I didn't want to get in, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to attend a, you know, an undergraduate school. So I decided to stay home where at that point, the the price of a undergraduate degree was super, you know, affordable and I didn't have to take out loans or anything like that. So I went there with very little expectations and I think it was a very life-changing experience. And I, um, I, as I said, I think life really proved me very wrong. I loved going to University of Puerto Rico. It was, I think, it's an incredibly underfunded and undervalued place that's, you know, it's a public university in Puerto Rico and it's really undergoing so many challenges and I, there's a lot of corruption and a lot of issues undergoing in, in the island that have really impacted, you know, the daily functions and, and the enrollment of students at the University of Puerto Rico. And my experience there was incredible. It was difficult. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I remember when I started at Craig Newmark and which wasn't Craig Newmark at that point, it was the City University of New York. 
And I saw the amount of resources that we had. And it was incredibly mind blowing to me. Um, but I think you know, the University of Puerto Rico taught me a lot of grit. Um, and it really taught me to see journalism also as a field that really relies on other fields of fields of study. Um, like as a journalist, as a journalism student, um, I took classes in literature, I took classes in sociology, I took um, political science classes. Um, so it was just very well-rounded um, and I, I loved going there. So if anybody is interested, I think it's, it, and also in learning more about what's going on at the University of Puerto Rico and all the different issues that um, affect the university, there's a lot of really great writing out there about it. So, yeah. All right. I'll try and include some of that in the show notes. Can you explain what it's been like to work on your first book? It's been an interesting experience. This was a book that was actually commissioned to me. So I didn't have to go through the traditional kind of publishing routes, which I know is incredibly different. And you actually have to get an agent and, you know, pitch your, your query, your, your book and, and all of that. So this was actually brought to me by Wellbeck Publishing. And they are, they have the series of books called The Little Book Of, and each book tackles a different fashion brand. And so they gave me a pick between Vivian Westwood and Bottega Veneta. Vivian Westwood is, of course, the late British fashion designer who died actually earlier this year. And, you know, there's so much written about Vivian Westwood, but there was very little written about Bottega Veneta just in, in a book sense. There's so much writing about it and, and journalism. And so they gave me about three months to write the book, which was really hard. <laughs> But it's a small book. It's about 78 pages. So it's not super, super long. But it was very interesting, I think, as, an, as a journalism exercise for me to just piece together what is out there about the brand without actually, you know, it was very much a, a write around. I couldn't interview people at Bottega and I couldn't interview my sources or anything like that. So it was a very interesting experience. But I think it was just was really good to just dip my do- my toes in, in publishing. Sounds like a good writing challenge. And certainly, yeah. I would imagine, <laughs> we'll set the this, set this stage for you for, for future works. The show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work, and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that you would like to salute for their good work? Absolutely. So I actually want to shout out uh, my colleagues at Refinery29. They have gone through so much over the past year. And I think we are in a moment at Refinery that is, you know, very transformative for the brand. So, and they've been doing such an amazing work. And I also want to shout out my two of my closest friends who are actually journalists as well. Andrea Gonzalez Ramirez, who is a senior writer at The Cut by New York Magazine. She covers reproductive care and politics. And Claudia Irizarria Ponte, who is a senior reporter at The City, and she covers labor, and she's also a James Beard Award winner. She hates that I shout, shout that out, so I will say that and plug it in. So they're, they're doing amazing work, so go check it out. Francis Sola Santiago, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck in your writing. I will be following it as you go. Thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us 
at journalismsalute at gmail.com.